Oh, man. I don't know how many are like me, but sometimes I wish we could just keep going with the worship. One of these Sundays, we're going to do that. One of these Sundays, I'm going to surprise you and go, guys, I don't got a message. Let's just keep singing, and, uh, and we're going to do that because there's just there's something about the singing time. Is, uh, it's, just, it's awesome to worship that way, and uh, aren't you glad that we serve, uh, serve a God of music, and uh, music's just awesome. It does something that really nothing else can do. I don't, I don't I don't know how we can describe it. I don't know really how, uh, how that is or why that is. I just know it is. Uh, music has that power, and, uh, and I, love, I love the time of, of music in our services. Galatians chapter number four, if you have your Bibles, Galatians chapter number four. And uh, while you're turning there, if you've not uh, received the notes uh, this morning for the message, you can just raise your hand and uh, Brother uh, Chevy will uh, get those to you. And uh, so just keep your hand raised, that way he'll see it and get them to you. And, uh, and that way together we can be studying uh, this passage and writing down whatever uh, the Holy Spirit brings to our mind. Uh, that way we remember it. They say that you remember twice as much uh, when you write it down than when you don't. So uh, we want to remember as much of God's words as we can, and that's why we have the notes. We write it down, and then uh, it helps us to apply uh, the truth of God's word into our lives. Galatians chapter number four, we've been studying this book over the last few weeks, studying about the message of this letter to the churches in Galatia how it focuses on the gospel. And uh, in chapters 1, 2, and 3, we see how Paul is really expounding on what the gospel is and what the gospel does. And in chapter 1, he reminds the people of Galatia that it was the gospel and God that sent him out uh, to reach others with that message. It was the gospel that changed his life and transformed him. And the God of that message called him. And we learned that in chapter 1 and chapter 2. Uh, he talks about how that gospel affected every area. And he, he talks even about how important the gospel is to be living it out as, as much as possible. Because when we don't live by the gospel and through the gospel, uh, then there's a disconnect. And, uh, and so that's why it's so important understanding clearly what that gospel message is and does. And then uh, in chapter 3, uh, we learned more as he was talking about the promise of Abraham is the gospel message. It's what uh, Abraham put his faith in and what we put our faith in as well. By the end of chapter 3, we learned about these identifying markers of the gospel, how it transforms everything about us, our experiences, our legal standing before God. It changes our identity and by the time you get to the chapter 4, in verse 1 through 7, it made us heirs of God, right? Those that are to inherit uh, what the, the promises and blessings of God. And so uh, we find that at the beginning of chapter 4, it kind of ties in chapter 3 by reminding us of that. Then last week, we, we learned how Paul gave a compassionate plea or a passionate plea to get the Christians at Galatia to understand that, that the gospel uh, is, is, is more than just a message. It's something that's to be uh, applied. It's something that uh, is very distinct and different from being under the law. And of course, the Judaizers have been trying to teach the, uh, the church in Galatia that you've got to go back to the law. You've got to live under the law. And 
And Paul is just reminding them, listen, we, we've been made free from the law. And uh, with the gospel now, we can live a different kind of life, a life outside of bondage. And, uh, and so we learn about the passionate plea that he makes to them of rejoicing and, uh, and, and the, the passionate plea of remembering, uh, starting there in verse number eight. And, and uh, you can, you can uh, go back and read and, and maybe remember some of that passionate plea that Paul makes to them. When you get to verse number 17 in our passage this morning, we're going to be looking at verse 17 down to verse number 20. We find that Paul now gives a Christ-like pursuit. Now, life is full of pursuits. I don't know if you've found this yet in your life, but live long enough and you'll find that life is full of pursuits. There are some in this life that what they'll pursue is money. And whenever there's money or opportunity for money, that's where they're going to be and that's what they're going to live for. Others have the pursuit to live and look for power. And whatever they feel can give them more power, they're going to do whatever it takes to get that. And they pursue that kind of power over anything else in life. Some pursue experience, uh, experiences and others pursue love. Some pursue possessions. Some pursue education. Uh, there, there's all kinds of pursuits in life. And just as true as that is, with pursuits in life, there is a pursuit in the Christian life that we ought to be pursuing. There's something that we are driving for and driving to. And what we pursue is different from what the world pursues. We pursue something far greater. And it's an interesting thing about pursuits. The interesting thing about pursuits is that when we're gone from this world, it'll define what our life was all about. The pursuit that you have in your life when you're no longer here 300 years from now will define your life. What were you pursuing? There's a man by the name of Eli Black, and you may have heard of him, and maybe many of us have not heard of him, but he was a brilliant businessman, and in his life, he's really known for two major things. Number one, he was the mastermind uh, that brought together uh, the multi-million dollar takeover of the United Fruit Conglomerate. He was the one that got that together and got that deal done. He's also known for jumping off a building in New York City, the Pan Am building, and taking his own life. The pursuit that he had in life didn't end great for him. But I say once again, we all have pursuits. That's why it's so important, having the right pursuit. In this passage, the Apostle Paul is going to talk a little bit about that. He's going to remind the Galatians, listen, what you're pursuing isn't the right thing in the Christian life. When you try to get back under the law, what you're doing is you're pursuing the wrong thing. What you ought to be pursuing is Christ. Now, now notice what he says in verse number 17, Galatians 4, verse 17. They zealously, and he's talking about the Judaizers, he said, they zealously affect you, but not well. Yea, they would exclude you that ye might affect them. But it is good to be zealously affected always in a good thing, and not only when I am present with you. My little children, 
of whom I travail in birth again until Christ be formed in you, I desire to be present with you now and to change my voice, for I stand in doubt of you. Was the Apostle Paul teaching in this passage to the church of Galatia? He's teaching them about pursuits in the Christian life. He's pleaded with them to see what the gospel gives, the freedom of the gospel. That going back to a religious style of life and a religious system isn't going to end well. And and now in verse 17, he starts pointing them to the right kind of pursuit in their life. So as we study this passage, I want you to notice the contrast that he gives, the contrast of pursuits in life. He says, number one, a selfish pursuit. He describes for them a selfish pursuit in verse number 17. You see, the false teachers that had come to the churches of Galatia were seeking to influence these Christians and get them to pursue the law in their life, to pursue religiousness in their life. They wanted them to pursue just the law and good works, a system that was broken, a system that hadn't worked, but yet they wanted them to go back to that. And you can see that this is a selfish pursuit from what Paul shares with them. You see, a selfish pursuit can be defined as wanting to influence with dishonest intent. And when you look at verse number 17, he says, uh, first, uh, yeah, 17, he says this, they zealously affect you. Now, Paul understood exactly what the Judaizers were after. After all, he had been one before. He came out of Judaism into Christianity. And so he knew exactly, hey, this is what they're teaching you. Church at Galatia, this is what they're telling you to pursue. I know exactly what they're after because that's what I used to do. That's what I used to be in. But he's saying what they're doing is they're taking you out of a life of freedom that is found in the gospel and trying to get you into a life of bondage that is found in the law. He uses a word here when he says that, and it's the word in English is translated as two words, zealously affect. The Greek word there is the Greek word zelioo, which means to court. All right. In other words, they were courting the Galatians. They were, they were flirting with the Galatians. They were trying to influence the Galatians, but they were trying to influence them for something that wasn't good for them. And that is to live a life of religiousness. To live a life of these certain rules and regulations. And if you can do that, then God will be happy with you. But if you don't, good luck. If you don't, the wrath of God is going to be in your life all your life. And Paul says, listen, they, they, they zealously want to do this. They, they, they're just trying to, to get you to follow them. They're, they're courting you in this manner. And when he says not well, the, the word there in Greek is the word uh, kalos or kalos. Uh, and, and the word kalos means uh, honesty. So he says they're doing it not honestly. They're doing it selfishly. Now, what Paul is saying is that in their dishonesty of what they're courting you to do, it's really for themselves. They don't have what's best for you at heart. To get you back into bondage actually benefits them. 
So, yeah, they're, they're getting you pumped up and they're, they're zealously affecting you and they're saying, man, look at this new, this new stuff that's in the Bible that, that Paul's not teaching you. Let me teach you what, what God really says. And they're moving you away from the message of the gospel, from filtering everything through the gospel, and they're saying, look, look, what Paul's not telling you is that if you do these things, you'll be happier. And Paul says, that's... That's just not the case. They're courting you with some selfish interests. They're telling you this because it benefits them. Now, let me tell you that today it's no different. There are those that are stuck in a religious system trying to earn God's favor, and they look to have others pursue the same things so that they might have control over them. You'll find this in any false religion that happens. But can I say, even for those of us that have uh, known the gospel and the grace of God, we can fall into that very same thing. The Galatians here, they were Christian people. They had put their faith in God. And the religious leaders of the, the Judaizers, they weren't Christian. They were trying to get God's favor and forgiveness by fulfilling the law. And it sounded so good to the church of Galatia that they started giving them ears and started kind of following them. It sounded, it sounded like maybe that makes sense. Suddenly they're saying, you know what? Paul didn't tell us that. I don't remember Paul preaching about that. And man, it seems like what they're telling us, it, it could be true. And at the end of the day, all they wanted was control. All they wanted was to court them so that they could control them. Paul says they do affect you zealously, but not well, not for the right thing. And then notice that a selfish pursuit is not only to influence with a dishonest intent, in other, in other words, not having the best at heart for that person, but also for self-glorification and praise. So that's why he ends verse 17. They affect you, but not well. They don't have good intentions. They're not trying to help you. They're not looking for your betterment. Yea, they would exclude you that ye might affect them. In other words, they, they alienate you. When you were Gentiles and you didn't, you didn't want anything to do uh, with anything that had to do with Scripture, they didn't even care for you. They didn't want anything to do with you. You were Gentiles. We don't talk to Gentiles. We don't mix with Gentiles. We don't eat with Gentiles. But he says, but now, suddenly they have a great interest in you. Now they hear you talk about this Christianity. And since some of this Christianity has to do with a Jewish rabbi that was known as Jesus. And, you know, I remember, I remember hearing about Jesus. And, and I, I think he was in Jerusalem. And I think he was in Capernaum. And, and these Judaizers are like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. He, he did teach some good things, but he didn't teach you, teach you everything. So we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna complete the teaching here. And Paul is saying, first of all, their intent is not good. Secondly, the only reason they're interested in you now is because you can bring them glory. It's for their own praise. It's so that they can say, look at our disciples. Look how many we have. Look what we have done. And by the way, religiousness always has us as the focus. Uh, when we begin to live a religious kind of life, we want everybody to know about our good works because that's how religion works. That's how it functions. 
Right? So, hey, do you know how many classes I teach? Hey, do you know how many chapters I've got memorized? Hey, um, do, do you know what I am and what I do at church? Do you know? Do you? It all becomes so self-centered. And now we, we get to a point where, hey, they didn't recognize me about what I do. Because it's all about me. Religion always does that. It always does that. It makes us the focus. And Paul says, you know what they're teaching you? They're teaching you to pursue something that is so selfish that number one, it doesn't benefit you. And number two, it's all about them anyway. And he says, if you're not careful, that'll be you one day. Now, I love what he says in verse number 18. In verse number 18, he says this. He says, but it is good to be zealously affected always in a good thing. In other words, you ought to get excited about the truth. He said, they're getting you excited about something that's not true. You always and ought to be excited about the truth. And that's why he says, not only when I'm present. In other words, when I went to you, churches in Galatia, when I went to you, nobody was going to you with this message of the gospel. And he says, and I remember when you first heard the gospel and you asked Jesus to be your savior and forgive you of your sins and you were excited. And you were like, Paul, when are we going to have another Bible study this week? Hey, hey, Paul, are you going to come to my house or, or are we going to go meet at somebody else's house? What are, what are we going to do? We, we have a thirst for it. He said, you were excited. You were zealous. You were courting the gospel. And it was, it was leading you to something good. It's good to have that excitement. And listen, I pray to God that I never lose the excitement of the gospel. I pray that we as a church never lose what it means to see a life transformed, a life coming to Christ. The Bible says that Jesus himself said, all of heaven goes crazy when one person gets saved. I mean, there's a party. There's a celebration. I hope we never get over that. That's what the gospel can do. That's why Paul said it's, it's good to be excited about what the gospel can do. You know what? You, you can't get that excited about religion. I don't know if you've ever met some heavily religious people, but they're never happy. They always feel guilty. They ain't good enough. They're kind of going through the motions. They're frustrated. They're tired. Because <laughs> that's what religion does. That's why Paul said, don't pursue that. It's a selfish pursuit. But in verse 19, he gives a selfless pursuit. He wants to contrast this major difference of pursuits. One is selfish, leads you to the law and religion. The other one is selfless. And it leads you to Christ and grace. And there's a major difference between those two. There's a major difference in what it can bring to you. There's a major difference in pursuing those things. Notice a selfless pursuit will influence others through your sacrifice. You see, Paul went to the churches of Galatia and to these Galatian people when the Judaizers would not. When they say, ah, no Gentiles, Paul was saying, hey, God called me to you guys, the Gentiles. I, I went to you. And I love the way he says this in verse 19. He says, my little children of whom I travail in birth again till Christ be formed in you. Paul literally describes, hey, the work I put in to get the gospel to you, it was like labor pains. It was something that cost me. It hurt. 
These Judaizers, they're coming. They didn't invest time in you. They wanted nothing to do with you. They didn't sacrifice anything for you. Paul's not bragging on himself. He's just simply saying, don't you see that my pursuit of the gospel took me to a place in my life where I was willing to sacrifice everything for you. You know when the gospel transforms us? You know when it's really working in our lives? When it takes us to the point where we're willing to sacrifice everything for the gospel. Sacrificing recognition. Sacrificing position. Sacrificing material possessions. Sacrificing where we could be in our career for something greater. That's when you know the gospel, the gospel's affected that person. Paul said, yo guys had that. When I was with you, you had that. What happened? He said, you began to pursue the wrong thing. You began to pursue a selfish pursuit. One that glorifies you and has you as the center of it. And that's what religion will do. And he said, this is why you need grace in your life. This is why the gospel is so important. Because it takes you to a selfless pursuit in your life. It takes you to a place where you sacrifice everything for the gospel. Can I say this morning, I'm so thankful that today it's the same. There's people in the back right now watching my sons. One watching in the nursery, my daughter. They're sacrificing for the gospel. We don't pay them a dime to do that. I wish I could. I wish I had money. I don't. But they sacrifice of themselves to do that. I love the fact that we have people that come on work days and they'll cut the yard and they'll help take trees out and they'll plant different flowers and, and they try to beautify this, this, this place. We don't pay all those men to come on a Saturday. They sacrifice. Why? For the gospel. Thank God for those that come and, and say, hey, I don't have the greatest voice perhaps, but the voice that God's given me, it, it's at least somewhat on tune and, and I'm going to sing and use my voice to praise and worship my God. Listen, we don't pay our worship team. I wish we could. Maybe one day we will. But until then, they're just going to have to sacrifice for the gospel. I thank, I thank God that they do. You say, what does that reflect, Pastor? A pursuit in their life that's selfless. That like Paul says, of whom I travail in birth again. Why? So that Christ may be formed in you. A selfless pursuit will lead you to sacrifice. Sacrifice everything. In Colossians chapter 2, he told the Christians there in Colossae the same thing. I got this from the New Living Translation there in your notes. He said, I want you to know how much I have agonized for you. 
and for the church at Laodicea and for many other believers who have never met me personally. I want them to be encouraged and knit together by strong ties of love. I want them to have complete confidence that they understand God's mysterious plan, which is Christ himself. In him lie hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Do you see how the, the pursuit of the gospel for Paul was all about Christ? It was all about others. He said, don't you see the religious leaders is all about them? They zealously courting you for what? For bad intentions so that they can be glorified. So you can say, what a great teacher. He's amazing. Nobody's closer to God than him. Nobody knows the Bible like him. It's all the focus of one. Nobody does God's will like me. I might be the only one in heaven with a crown as good as I am. At least the only one worthy of one. Paul says a selfless pursuit, it's all about Christ. And I want you to notice a selfless pursuit is also influencing for the character of Christ. The character of Christ. Paul says it as clearly as he can. I travail as a woman in birth. Why? That Christ could be formed in you. That you might have his character, his mind. You might have his life living through you. It's not that we can attain some sort of status of holiness that no one else has reached. No, Paul said that's not it. That's not it. It's that Christ who lives in you can live through you. And the only way that happens is if the gospel is transforming you. Thank you, Siri. She found that to be true. Christ's character. Can I say that today we must not lose sight of our pursuit of others and ourselves to be more Christ-like. We ought not to lose sight of that. Someone living with a selfless pursuit is always looking to see the character of Christ formed in them and in others. Makes what their life is all about. That's what the sacrifice is for. That's why they don't care if they get recognized or not. That's why they don't care if they get paid or not. That's why they don't care if they lose everything or not. If you look through church history, guys, we are so blessed. Our Christianity has cost us very little. For many years, and I'm talking about probably two or three centuries, the second most read book in the world was a book called Pilgrim's Progress. A guy by the name of John Bunyan, he was a Baptist preacher, wrote that book. If you study his life, you'll find that for 16 years he was in prison because the state of England said, you can't preach this way. You need to get a license so we can approve what you preach. And he says, listen, he did what the Apostle Paul said. Hey, the, the, the state of England and the king of England didn't call me to preach. God did. So whether you want to give me a license or not, I'm preaching what the word of God says, not what you tell me to say. For 16 years, he was in prison because of that. His family used to go and visit him. I believe he had four or five children. 
had a wife that was living by herself. He didn't have anything of, you know, government assistance helping them. I'd imagine that in the prison there, many times and many nights, he thought, I need to get out of here. I wonder what's going on with my wife and my kids. Why do that? For the gospel. What an amazing wife, by the way. You'll read the story and she would come to the prison and say, John, just stay faithful. John, just stick with God. John, God's going to take care of us. The kids are fine. You just stay, stay right with God. I tell you, I went through a really rough season recently. The book Pilgrim's Progress, I read it. It's probably like my fifth or sixth time reading it. But it moved me. It encouraged me. You could feel the power of God in that book. Why? Because it's inspired? No, no. But the man who wrote it knew a little bit about what the gospel is all about. He knew the gospel life. He knew the selfless pursuit of life. And he sacrificed. And he wanted to see the character of Christ in others. So we come to the last point, we'll be done, and that is a self-examination. This is where the rubber meets the road. While it's always easier to judge what we see in others, it can be infinitely more difficult to see it in ourselves. That's why we have to ask ourselves this morning. Because Paul got to the point where he says, I'm standing in doubt. In other words, I don't even know if you guys are saved. At least from what you're pursuing and what you're displaying, man, you're making me have a lot of doubts. In verse 20. He said, because of what you're pursuing in life. So here's the question this morning, number one. We've got to ask ourselves, am I pursuing his image? Does that matter to us? Because we can really easily lose track of what the Christian life's all about. We forget that it's his image that we're to be producing. Not a better image of ourselves. Right? Religion's all about, hey, I got, I got to look a certain way. and My image, my image. Oh, but the gospel's all about the image of Christ. Does that matter to you? I have to ask myself, does it matter to me? Because if we say, yeah, pastor, it matters, then I would ask, well, how much time did you spend working on that image, thinking about the image of Christ and what that means? Because most of the time, life becomes just a routine, and reading the Bible just becomes a routine, and prayer can just become a routine, and suddenly we find ourselves in a religious life not pursuing anything. Whether we have Christ's character or not really means very little. Whether we're seeing Christ formed in others in our church means very little. And a church that loses that, and I'm talking about people 
that have had the gospel transform their life, when they lose that, you know what happens in that church? It gets very difficult to find teachers to teach because nobody wants to sacrifice. And we say, oh, but they're just second graders. Yeah, you know, a second grader can still reflect the image of Christ. I've got a third grader now. I've seen it. I wonder where those that are pursuing that will be five years from now. The second question we've got to ask ourselves is, am I pursuing his glory or mine? When we start living and worrying about our image, it ultimately points to where we want the glory to be. The pursuit begins to be my glory, my reputation. What, what are people saying about me? Instead of just being focused on, it's God's glory. Yeah, but they say this about you and this happened. It's okay. God allowed it. And if at the end of all of this, God gets greater glory, then that's okay. Paul, three times, three different times, Paul asked, God, would you cure me of this physical ailment I have? And three times, God said no. And on the final time, he said, I don't want to hear it from you again. Understand that my grace is sufficient for thee. Because my glory is made great in your weakness. And Paul said, if in my weakness, God gets more glory, then so be it. Let me just keep battling this physical ailment. Can I just say this morning, I don't know. You may f- face a physical ailment. I may face one. I hope our attitude would be, listen, not bitter. Why did God let this happen to me? No. But rather, God, you let this happen to me. How can I glorify you? There's a time in the disciples' life when they went and saw a blind man. They asked Jesus, John chapter 8, I believe. Asked Jesus, so who sinned, him or his parents? Jesus said, neither. He said, but that physical ailment has been given to him so that he might glorify God. Then he spits, creates mud, puts mud in the guy's eyes, says, go to the well there, Salome, and wash up. And the guy obeyed, and by faith believed. And that blind man could suddenly see what he never had seen before. That's what the gospel does. We have a selfless pursuit in life. That's what Paul was just trying to get them to understand. Just understand this. Religion can never give you that. Never. But the grace of God can. The message of the gospel can. It'll drive you to sacrifice all you have to do. All you have to give. I'm telling you, it'll drive you to wait and see Christ formed in you and in others. I finished with this story that I heard of a lady who was overweight and looking, of course, to lose some of that weight. So she decided to go to a gym and and get a trainer to, to kind of help her out and So she got to the gym and requested a trainer and signed up. And the first day, the trainer 
uh, was uh, with her, he, he said, okay, we've got to weigh you in, see where you're at. And so he weighed her in, and then he took her in front of a mirror. And, uh, and while she was standing there in the mirror, he began to draw a shape in the mirror. And the shape was considerably slimmer than where she was at currently. And he, uh, he turned, the trainer turned and looked at her, and he said, now in the next 10 weeks, it's going to be our goal to see that you fit right in there. And he went, she went one week and dieted and, and was working out and working hard, and she came back to the mirror, and she wasn't there. And she went the second week and went home and dieted and worked out and did all she, she could, and she came in front of that mirror and didn't fit into shape. And she did this week after week after week until week number 10. That last time in week number 10, she went in front of that mirror and suddenly her image was conformed to the image that was drawn out for her. And can I say a selfless pursuit in life leads you to get conformed into the image of Christ that he's laid out before us. We may not get there right now this week or next week or next month or next year, but we ought to be pursuing it. The gospel leads us to pursue it. I just want to remind you of what Paul said to the church of Galatia. Don't have a selfish pursuit. Have a selfless pursuit in life. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word and for your truth. And Thank you, Father, that by your grace, there is something that we are pursuing far greater than ourselves far greater than what we could do in and of ourselves. And Father, I pray that we never allow in our mind the idea in the pursuit that is so selfish of our own glory and the intentions of doing perhaps even things that are good and okay, but seeking from there to find your favor. Help us to realize, Father, that it's only by your grace that we can do what we do. As the Apostle Paul once said, it's only by the grace, your grace, that we are what we are. So I pray that this morning as we dwell upon this truth of pursuits in life, of which there are many, I pray that we would have a selfless pursuit. The gospel would lead us to sacrifice all things for you. That the gospel would lead us, Father, to move forward until, be, until Christ be formed in us. Until Christ be formed in others. Examine our hearts. As the psalmist once said, search me, O God, and know my heart. And see if there be any wicked way in me. And lead me in the way everlasting. May that be our prayer today. And may we have the right pursuit in our life. Be with us and help us, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much for listening so well. and. I'm going to ask if you would, let's go ahead and stand as we jump into our, our last song, Cornerstone. And 
As we uh, sing this song, I'm going to ask for those that will be uh, getting baptized this morning, if you want to go ahead and make your way, uh, men to this side and ladies to uh, my left, which is your right, if you want to go ahead and make your way in there and get prepared and get ready. And uh, as we celebrate our, uh, our baptisms this morning of those taking that step of obedience. Uh, so while we get ready and do that, let's sing this uh, wonderful, amazing song, Cornerstone, uh, Christ, who is our cornerstone. Let's sing about that this morning. Weak made 
may be seated as uh, we give a chance then to Pastor Jeremy to be able to lead us in the baptisms. This morning, it is a wonderful blessing to be able to uh, celebrate uh, with those that are taking uh, the decision, or making the decision, I guess I should say, of being baptized today. And, uh, and let me just remind everyone that baptism does not give us salvation. The grace of God gives us salvation, but what baptism does is it identifies us publicly uh, with Christ, it, it lets others know that we've made that decision. It's the external, uh, I guess, evidence of an inward decision. And uh, the best way to describe it is uh, what, what a wedding ring does, right? A wedding ring doesn't make us married if you have a ring on, on this finger there on your left hand. Uh, but if you've been married, you wear one because it lets others know I'm married. And that's what baptism is. It's a, it's a step of obedience. And it's also what identifies us publicly with Christ. And so this morning, we want to celebrate with those that are making this decision and, uh, and uh, following Christ in baptism. The first one we want to, um, to baptize this morning is Layla Mendoza. She is uh, one of our uh, teenagers. And uh, this morning, she is uh, making... This first uh, step of obedience in baptism. And we're so excited. I know her parents are excited. Her grandparents are excited. We're all excited to, uh, to see this decision that she's making. And, uh, and so I'll ask you, Layla, have you accepted Christ as your personal Savior? Yes, all right. Well, based on that testimony, then, I baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, buried in the likeness of his death, raised in the likeness of his resurrection. Also, we're celebrating today with Jacob Mendoza. He's Layla's cousin. And uh, also taking this step of uh, obedience and uh, of following Christ and uh, making it public that way. So, Jacob, have you accepted Christ as your personal Savior? Yes. All right. Based on that testimony, then, I baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, buried in the likeness of his death, buried in the likeness of his resurrection. Second this morning to uh, to make this decision and go through is uh, Isaac Fobos. Isaac uh, also is uh, one of our teenagers in our youth program and uh, a young man that I, I know has uh, been a blessing and is a blessing. And uh, this morning making uh, this public profession for Christ. So, uh, Isaac, have you accepted Jesus as your personal Savior? All right, based on that testimony then, I baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Buried in the likeness of his death, raised in the likeness of his resurrection. And we have one more young person uh, that is uh, taking this uh, or making this decision of baptism, and that is uh, Ron Ramirez. And uh, Ron uh, has been in our church, I think, ever since he was really, really young, uh, been part of our youth group. And uh, this year, uh, as he was at camp, one of the speakers was challenging. Uh, the, the teens that have not made that decision of baptism to get baptized, and Ron said, you know, Pastor, I haven't done that. I want to do that. And uh, here he is this morning 
uh, taking that step of obedience. So, Ron, have you accepted Christ as your personal Savior? Yes. Based on that testimony, then, I'm going to baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, buried in the likeness of his death. Raised in the likeness of his resurrection. That is a big boy. Well, we celebrate with them. I hope you'll, if you uh, if you see uh, their mom or dad, be sure to celebrate with them this great momentous decision of, uh, of identifying with Christ publicly through baptism. I'm going to ask Brother John if you would maybe lead us in a few songs as we get ready, and, uh, and that way we can all welcome uh, those that got baptized this morning. Amen.